Hi, Talia. It's wonderful to have you here on the podcast and have the chance to talk to a seasoned therapist like you about creating a nurturing environment for our kids to blossom into the outstanding human beings we envision them to be. Please introduce yourself to our listeners before we move on to the deep stuff. Thank you, Billy. I'm so excited to be here and so grateful that you asked me. So I am in Minnesota. I'm a mom of two boys. One of them, they're almost 13 and almost 15. Um, And I'm also a psychologist in private practice, but it sounds like I'm going to be just a mom today, which is so fun. Not really. I have some questions concerning your work. Okay. Well, good thing I'm both. Okay. As a relationship therapist and a teen mama, I think you're uniquely qualified to prepare us for the tough tween and teen years. I know it would be best to stay close to our children so they feel safe to share their struggles and come to us for advice instead of to their peers. But how do we do it in practice? Do you have any advice on what to do and what not to do? And my advice might look very different than what I'm actually doing in real life because it is so hard. You're not wrong. And sometimes my husband and I laugh that we feel at the same time underqualified and overqualified for parenting these teen boys because this is a very strange time in their lives and their needs are so different and not necessarily even intuitive. Like our eldest, for instance, he's almost 15 and he and his friend group, they are very close, but they're also like dabbling in some teenage things, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's some vaping and some marijuana. They were, you know, skaters at the skate park and in the summertime they would be saving up all of their money to buy spray paint to like tag graffiti right so I've got this kid that I'm trying to parent and then my little one who is like preteen and in some ways so mature for his age because he's just so kind and loving and not the typical like aggressive kind of jerky teen boy sometimes. But he is, you know, he needs a completely different kind of parenting. He's navigating a lot of like interpersonal stuff and his first crushes and struggling at school. And so it's almost like there is no one size fits all approach to parenting these teens. The best you can possibly do is really get to know your child and know the kind of parenting that they're needing, which is different than what they might be wanting. That's so true. Mic drop moment. (laughs) Yeah. Mic drop because like our eldest, the only parenting he wants is money, food, and rides from place to place, right? But he needs so much love and guidance and support and accountability and pushing him towards being successful because that isn't necessarily internally motivated for him at school. So how do you manage that if he's not interested in your advice or your leadership 
How do you handle that? Yes, well, we have a very respectful relationship, which feels really beautiful. Like I cherish that relationship. And so what I realize is my only way to have some loving influence is if he trusts me and I trust him. And so what I mean by him trusting me is that he needs to know that he can bring anything to me, like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, everything. And I cannot overreact because he is watching me. So if I'm regulated and I'm calm, he talks to me and he tells me everything. Because in once he even told me, he's like, mom, I love you so much, but this is the way that it's going to be. This is, I mean, he was like 14 and he was like, I can either tell you everything and some of it's going to be ugly and you can like help me and guide me. Or you can be like all the other moms and I just won't tell you anything, but I'm still going to do it. And so I was like, Okay, I hear you. And I am now that mom that he's asking for. And I'm also that mom to literally all of his friends. That's amazing. That's what I want to do. But they need that desperately. And if we're telling them like, absolutely not, don't do this, you can't do that. They don't stop doing the things they just stop talking to us. What if you don't like the things he's doing? I mean, you still have to give some guidance. And and that's the only way that I'm able to give guidance is because we have that trusting relationship and he understands why I'm worried. And so I can't just say, I really don't want you to do that. I need to say, here's what makes me really worried about that. I just listened to some research about what marijuana does to a developing brain versus a fully formed brain. So I'm not telling him, no, absolutely not. What I'm telling him is I love you and I trust you. And I know that you're just trying things out, but let me give you some evidence. And then let me maybe ask you, like, have you noticed what it feels like? Have you looked at your friends like after they've smoked? And what do you think about, you know, do they seem like sharp and funny and bright eyed and bushy tailed? Or do they seem kind of like dull and slow and tired? And it's just a conversation. I'm not judging. Because, yeah. you know, I, I was no saint either. That is what I'm going to ask. Do do you tell him what you did in your early years? If he asks me, he's ready to hear it. And also I can be a better guide because I am not someone who's like, absolutely not. Never touch this stuff. Bad, bad, bad. But I can be like, here's my experience. Here's the way you can do it safely. Here's like the frequency that is going to start damaging your brain. If I had a preference, it would be never. But if you have to, these are the scenarios. Okay. I like that. I like that. Give him the information and he makes the decision. 
Yes. And that has been really good for our relationship and his friends understand also that I'm there for them and there's no judgment, but there is guidance. And also I'm very worried about addiction. I'm very worried about all of these things, but the only way I have influence is if I can be right in there with him guiding in this very subtle, loving way. How do you stay friends with his friends? And, and, you know, it's really what I love about this group of kids is they tell me things, but they are not looking for me to be friends. They're looking for a mom that they can talk to. And that's so beautiful and refreshing. Like they want me to tell them why it's scary or what they should be worried about or how to do things safely. Because a lot of times, like teenagers don't have a space to not have an overreactive, punitive parenting experience. Yeah, so true. Uh, You said punitive experience. Uh, Were you like that all the way from the early years with the boys? Like no punishment, connection? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think because of several different factors, like I, my dad was very relationship first and my mom was very like consequence first, but she was also the one that like pushed me in school and pushed me to be better and pushed me past my comfort zone. And I like got a doctorate and I, you know, so a lot of the things like I really do appreciate all of the pushing, but in our family, my husband, at least from the beginning, I mean, we've been together almost 25 years now and we've been parenting together for 15, but he was always very like, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And if they do it the wrong way, there are consequences and the consequences need to be dotted. Like it was very like a systemic parenting style. It wasn't like authoritarian, but it was very like this. These are the consequences, you know, not to do this thing. And if you do it, these are the consequences. And I, from the beginning of time was not comfortable with that because I am all about relationship. I have this belief that if you punish your kid, they aren't learning oh, well, I better not leave my dish on the counter. They're just learning that they have no control and parents are completely in control. And then there's this immediate power differential. And I think that it breaks the trust. But there are, like, if there is a relationship there, there isn't a lot of crazy rule-breaking behavior. Like when they're really little, there might be like natural consequences, right? Like if I say, oh, it's really cold outside, go grab your coat. And they're like, they didn't listen or they didn't hear and they forgot. The natural consequence is that they don't have a coat and they're going to be cold. Or It's so hard to me to do that because I'm like, they're going to get sick 
and then it's up to me to take care of them. I'm so bad it's at this. True. I know it's the right way. No, Billy, it's so hard for me too. And that's why I also realized that, yes, I am a psychologist. And please, most, and please know that most of what I'm saying, it's sort of this combination between being a psychologist, but also being a mom. And so because I mother in a very relationship oriented way, I have a really hard time with consequences. And my husband is so much better at it and better at follow through. So there is sometimes some conflict there about like, these kids really need to learn certain lessons. And just what you were saying, like, it's so hard to let them have those consequences. I definitely need to work on that. So you guys just complement each other. There's not a clash of parenting approaches, but rather they fit together. We have been constantly trying to meet each other in the middle between relationship and follow through and consequences because there are certain things that our kids really can't govern themselves very well like sugar screens sleep these this is not parenting they want but it's parenting that they need and so it's less of like a clash maybe between parenting styles and more like, how do we do this in a relationship oriented way versus a more punitive way? <clears throat> but when you have that beautiful connected relationship, they listen to you. They understand why they have to brush their teeth twice a day. They're not doing it because they're going to get punished. They're doing it because they know that it's right for them and good for them. They aren't limiting their screen time because they're going to get punished. And in case of like the more addictive things, we what we like to do is put things on automatic timers so that we aren't necessarily governing, but we come up with an agreed upon amount of time that feels right to them. And then we just put it in our iPhones or iPads, the screen time setting. Okay. We do that for our younger, not our elder, our elder he um, is so social and so active that like, we don't really have to struggle with him. At what age did they get their first phone? Billy, I'm so embarrassed to even say they were probably like 11 because I was worried about them when they were on the school buses and they were on separate school buses out there in the world and I couldn't track them or they couldn't like let me know what was going on when they were away from home. And so it was mostly for that. But well, I think 11 is okay. Yeah. Uh, we have kids in my uh, nine-year-old class that, that have phones for a year already. So quite young. And I'm not okay with that. I've been thinking at what age, maybe when they just go to school by themselves and I want to know what's happening. But uh, I'm so afraid of social media. That's real. And our, so, and my little one who's almost 13 has like zero interest in social media. And so he's not even asking about it. He doesn't have any of the apps but he also like he plays a lot of like Roblox with his friends. So that's social time or he's watching YouTube, which is so like most of it is pretty 
trashy, just like watching other people play Roblox or like these really weird videos (laughs) that like we don't, we can't know what they're even watching, which is creepy. But our eldest is like living, breathing Snapchat and TikTok and making videos with all of his friends and snapping each other nonstop. And it's almost like once they have gone down that path, you've lost them in that way because their entire social network, that is how they communicate. So how do you keep them safe? Like for like specifically, like what, like, are you thinking predators or? Yeah, like, what, that's what I'm thinking. But you have boys. I have, I have girls and I'm like a bit uh, scared of that. I mean, one thing that we have said is that you can't talk to anyone that you wouldn't invite to your house. So even my little one who's super innocent and vulnerable in that way, and he plays Roblox, and I think there are like random people that can play too, and people will ask you to chat, and he knows he's just not allowed to chat unless he knows them in person. Okay. But he listens. He understands why. He understands creepy people and like bad motives. So he's okay, scared so of it. You too. just have to explain to them what are your motives. That's exactly that. right. And and the why is so important. They listen to you when you tell them why. Yes. Yes. Like you can't just say no. You have to say why? Like why am I worried about this? That's and true. My husband is like, why do you keep explaining yourself to your seven-year-old? And I'm like, well, (laughs) I would love to know if I were in her place. That's right. I mean, and even if you think about how very powerless these kids feel, it helps them feel respected and seen and heard if you take the time to explain why. And it also helps them trust you that you know what you're talking about. And there are reasons. And when they know that you say things with a reason and purpose, they listen to you. That's true. What about if they don't want to share? You have a good relationship with them, but it's a silent kid um, that doesn't like to talk too much. For example, my seven-year-old is like that. And all I know about school and her friends, I know from her older sisters. So... Will that be my approach uh, in the teen years? Just rely on the sister or... Billy, you're asking great questions. Sometimes she's like, okay, it was fine. That's cool. Did you um, make some mistake or something? Yes. No. She doesn't volunteer any information. I'm a bit worried how this will unfold. So this is such a common parenting question. So I have a couple thoughts about it. One of them is the open-ended questions are the only way to go with these kids. Because if you say, how was your day? Good. It's like closed. Did you make a mistake? Yes or no? Closed. Like if you ask a question, which everybody does, right? How was your day? 
what did you do? Tell me about blah, blah, you know, whatever. No, actually the tell me about whatever is the open-ended. And so they will shut that down, especially because after seven or eight hours of school, they're brain dead and don't want to talk anymore. And so what I have discovered, at least with my boys, and I've got one introvert and one extrovert. Um, but what I've learned is if you already know something that's going on, the cast of characters, the storyline, right. Of like anything that might be going on, like this kid, Stanley, that stole a milk at school, or this one kid that pushed the other kid, or the one kid that got hurt. Or if, if you have anything, any little thing that you know, and you start asking about it, it takes so much of the pressure off of having to start a conversation or explain anything. And so I have found that they share with me much more readily. If I already know something and I'm just asking a follow-up question. Okay. Yes. Like, oh, does Jimmy still have a crush on Sarah? Right. <laughs> or like, Oh, I remember this thing that you told me. Whatever happened with that? Okay, that's a great idea. And, and the second thing that we do, because time is so precious and I feel like we barely have any time to spend all together. So whenever we have our family dinners, which I try so, so hard to at least have a few a week because everyone's schedules are so different. We have a bowl of these little cards on the table that are open-ended questions for teens. They have like, I forget what they're called. I think talking point cards or something, but there are a hundred different questions that are just really open-ended and things that like teenagers might want to talk about. Both of my boys have ADHD as do I, I gave them ADHD and weak ankles that they're always upset about because they roll their ankles all the time. So when we sit down for dinner, I am so grateful if we are all in the same place for 15 minutes. My eldest can't sit still to save his life. He'll probably be eating like standing up, right? I mean, like they can't just sit for an hour long dinner and have normal conversations. So they're mm. so squirrely. But when we have those cards right there, they're always like, I'm going to grab a card. And then they ask the question and then we go around and answer, or they've made up a couple of other fun games, like two truths and a lie. So you do it during the mealtime. Oh. Yes. Okay. Yes. And especially with like the ADHD piece, if we're eating and doing something else, it makes it so much easier. Like most normal quote unquote families can like sit down for a 45 minute meal and talk. My boys are like physically not capable of that. And so the way that we figured it out is we will literally either be doing these cards or playing a board game, even if we're just sitting down together for 20 minutes, or like playing truth or dare, two truths and a lie, or asking like highlights, lowlights, and funnies. 
So we I go around. Games. That's an awesome idea. And it's all because it's like, otherwise they are, I can't even tell you how squirmy these boys are. But then if we are doing something else, then they're like eating and they're like highlights, lowlights and funnies. We go around and they tell us like one highlight of the day, one low light of the day, something sad that happened. And then one funny thing that made them laugh, which is also creating kids that know how to have conversations and know how to narrate their experiences to other people, which is really an important skill. True. What skills do you want them to have? How do you want to prepare them for life? Like consciously coaching them? Well, so, you know, my boys are so incredibly different. And so it's a little bit different for each of them. Like my little one needs to work on being more confident, letting things roll off of him, being more resilient. If somebody says something mean, it doesn't have to ruin your whole day. It doesn't mean I hate school or I hate kids. It means this one jerky kid said one mean thing to me. So how do you know that you don't have to let things get under your skin and take your mood down with it? So how do you build that confidence? Conversations of just like when they talk to you, you hear the way that they think. And you help them reframe the way that they're thinking. So when my little one says, I hate my basketball team. They're so mean. They never pass to me. Then to ask him like, okay, so tell me about each kid. Like who from nicest to meanest, tell me about like what you think about these kids. And then when he starts to name all of the kids, what he realizes is like, oh, all of them are really nice, except for these two kids that don't pass to me. But that's a very different narrative than everyone hates me. No one passes to me. Yeah, it's important what you focus on. Or like, no one likes me, right? So like, let's fact check a little bit. Like, what about this friend? Oh, yeah, they really love me. They did this really nice thing. Oh, what about this other person? Oh, yeah, we're best friends. We like, they really see me. They really get me, right? And Mm -hmm. so it's not, I don't have any friends. Everyone hates me. It's that like, I'm very selective with who I choose to have in my small circle. And that's a beautiful skill. And so the way that they talk to themselves, like we get to influence that. And then what that's called is like an introject. So like what kids grow up feeling about themselves, a lot of it can come from us. I'm sure. And so if we tell them like, you are so kind, you have so much empathy, you are so caring they're going to start to develop a sense of themselves, right? And so we can help fill that in when they are feeling badly about themselves for whatever reason. I've been very careful with um, saying you are something. I've read that's not the right way to do it. You have to say you're doing something right, not you're great, for example. 
trying not to do that, I'm, I think I'm not encouraging them enough. Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting. I also read somewhere that if you celebrate them for their effort instead of their finished product, that creates a child who appreciates the the work and the progress and the effort rather than thinking that the only time they're going to get praise is if they get an A or if they win the prize or whatever that is. And so I wonder if that's sort of similar. Yeah, it's related. Yeah. It's related. I mean, so the way that I think about like you are versus you do, and you know, because you have three kids, right, Billy? Yeah. And they're all probably so different. For sure. And their natural essence and gifts are so different. And so sometimes I feel like if we see their natural gifts, like my little one is so kind and has so much empathy. That is just like a gift, right? So if I tell him, you are oozing with these beautiful qualities that are natural to you. I think that that's also like me really seeing him, but I can also tell him these are some things that I think would really be good if you worked on, like you're really strong in these areas, but these other areas are making your life harder. Mm -hmm. So like with my eldest, I will tell him Like, oh my gosh, you are so, such a good friend and you are so loyal and you're so supportive. Like this is just who you are, but also he doesn't have as much empathy for other kids and he isn't as kind or as gentle. And so they're each working on very different things. But what I also have learned and I hope my kids never listen to this is you can also like narrate what you want them to be like, Oh my gosh, you are so kind. That thing that you did, which may have been the tiniest bit kind, like a one out of 10 kind If I say, oh my gosh, I see that thing that you did. Oh, that is so, that is just going to make that person's day. Like he texted my mom. Oh my gosh, that literally is going to make her day. You created so much kindness and love and made somebody feel really special. How true is that? 10% true. But If he starts connecting in his head that if I make these tiny little gestures, I am really kind and I like the way it feels to be really thoughtful and kind. And guess what? It's totally working. Oh, yeah. It's totally working. Or like if I tell my little one, oh, my gosh, you're so brave. How brave was he? Five percent brave. Right. But if I tell him, like, I see that, I know how hard that was. You did it. See, you're brave. You can do really hard things. I was trying to inspire them to uh, write their own affirmations, but didn't work so good. So maybe I'll try just uh, speaking it to them. I love that idea, though, Billy. Why do you think that didn't work? 
they have written it down. They don't remember to say to themselves to uh, read it out loud. And it's there, but it's not really useful. I, I mean, I love the idea. I love the idea. And maybe it's just like they need a little bit of reminding that it's like a part of their morning routine or like it's on their bathroom mirror by their toothbrush. And, you know, you know, Mel Robbins. I love her. Yeah. And the high five. I do it, by the way. Does it work? I haven't done it yet, but I love the idea so much. I feel much better when I do it. It's like maybe uh, maybe that's what you're telling your kids is like that's a part of our morning routine. And every time everyone's brushing their teeth, you can hop in and just be like, "All right, on the count of three, we're all gonna say our affirmation out loud and give ourselves a high five." <laughs> they've seen me do it, and they're like, "Are you crazy?" Love but and you can say yes, but it's a good kind of crazy. That like, welcome to the club. Yeah, so true. I've been dying to ask a question to someone competent like you. <laughs> I've been discussing this topic with the moms around me and their opinions all over the place. Oh, good. All when do you kids. think it's uh, good to start educating our kids about intimate relationships? Okay, How yeah. ease into it? Because it's important to know from us, not from their peers. But yes. still, I don't want to be too early. Yes. Oh my gosh. Such a good question. Okay. So I think that the rule of thumb is if they ask you a question, you have to answer it because they're ready. You might not need to go into graphic details, but if somebody says, where do babies come from? You've got to tell them. And that might make us really uncomfortable. And maybe it like, depending on their age, you don't have to give them all the details. Like for instance, if they're asking where babies come from and they're four or five or you know something like that, it might just be mom has eggs, dad has sperm. And when they come together, there's a chance of creating a baby, right? So like mm-hmm. it involves mom and dad. And when they come together, in a certain way that can create a baby. And when they're older, like maybe seven, eight, nine, or something like pre-pubescent, mm-hmm. it might be more around like, you know, when two people love each other and care about each other, they sometimes come together and they're intimate which means like if you're hugging and you're kissing and like that's already like the biology of it they probably understand like you know dad has a penis and mom has a vagina let me show you what that puzzle looks like it doesn't have to go into gory details it's just biology and it's just science and there are lots of books about that so we don't even have to feel weird and sheepish it can even be about animals You could even talk about how dogs have babies and cat, like whatever that looks like. But then when they're like going through puberty, preteen, they already know. They already know more than you want them to know. Mm -hmm. You like when they're 11, 12, they need to hear about what actually happens and how 
if they're asking. And also people blossom and bloom at all sorts of times, right? So like I'll have one kid that's really curious about the ins and outs of all of the biology of, of sex when he's 10. And my other one is like, la, 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 like no questions, no answers. That's something I'm a little confused about. If I talk to my nine-year-old, is she going to tell her sister that seven-year-old right away so she knows everything at, at a younger age or even the youngest one that's four now? That's the reason I've been postponing it and my nine-year-old has been asking questions and I've been answering. It's not the time yet to explain fully. Maybe that's wrong. Well, I mean, and there's no wrong. I mean, it's not like, oh, the window's closed, fail, right? It's just like being open to the conversations that they're wanting to have. But maybe if you explain to her, like, honey, one of the reasons why I was waiting to talk to you isn't because I don't think you're ready. It's because your sisters aren't ready. And so now you are a part of a club for older kids and older people that like, I'll tell you everything that you want to know. And if she's really interested, there are books that are age appropriate that have like diagrams and questions and answers. And you can even say like for uh, both of our boys, I mean, they will turn beet red if you ask them about it, but we bought, um, like puberty books or like things to know about your changing body. Mm-hmm. Did they love it? No. Did we do it anyway? Yes. We tortured them. It would be like a part of the bedtime routine. And then we would go through the table of contents and be like, okay, what interests you? Like, what are you curious about? Right. And they were very curious about different things. And so like one of them was curious about masturbation or one of them was curious about like armpit hair and like how your hair grows and one of them was curious about hormones or crushes or like how your body changed. it's like it was torture and funny and bonding okay yeah it's bonding so I'm gonna wait for her to ask again not initiate the conversation is that your the- nine-year-old yes Has she already asked? Yes. She's ready. You know what you can even do is, again, like tell her like, okay, this is a club. Don't tell your sisters. They're not ready until they ask very specific questions. But I hear you and I know you're ready. So we're going to make some hot cocoa and we're going to like sit here and snuggle and let me tell you about it. And first you might even tell her about animals because it's less embarrassing. And then if she asks more questions about like people or, you know, you could just be like, yep, that's how it, that's how it happens. Okay. Then I'll buy myself a book and be guided by the book. And also like, we have to remember that they're actually just really curious about biology and science. Like we don't have to be embarrassed about it. If it isn't like, well, daddy and I go out to dinner and drink wine. And then we, 
you know, kiss and blah, blah, blah. No, it's just science. Like they don't need to know all the details. It's just like, okay, let me show you a picture of this is a woman's body and this is a man's body and these are the parts and this is what's happening. And then you can like, let them lead. She might not even want that much information. You can ask her what she's curious about and then just answer her questions. Okay. Thank you. I've messed up. But no, there's no messing out. up. It's just like we are all a work in progress. And I read like this, I don't know what it was on Instagram and it was like a meme or something, but it was so sweet. It almost made me cry. But it was basically like kids don't realize that they're watching their parents grow up too. Like this is oh, all yeah. new for us. We've never done this before. And even if we have, we don't know what we're doing. And every generation is supposed to be more evolved than the last. And so we're just learning and doing it as we go. We're writing the books. We're making the rules. True. And uh, talking about relationships, I want my girls to show up confident in their future relationships and not be people pleasers, always looking for approval. How do I help them be that person? The best thing that you could do for your girls is model it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I know. I know. We have a great and relationship with my husband, but will that be enough? Yes, because they're watching what love looks like. They're watching what relationships, what communication looks like. They're watching you and the way that you speak. And if you speak with love and honesty, or if you aren't speaking their, their, your truth, they are watching. And so even like the more confident and loving, right? Because you, you don't have to be confident and mean. It's like yeah. if they see what a confident, loving woman looks like, or two women or three women, and you're pointing it out and you're teaching them of like, oh, when your dad said that thing, I had to make this decision. Like you can even tell them, maybe not now they're so little, but like when they're growing into themselves, you can be really honest with your own experience too. Like most of us are people pleasers, right? Yes, yes. And so even just to be like, oh my gosh, I really just wanted to go along with it because I felt like I wanted everyone to be happy, but then I felt this yucky feeling and I knew that I was going to start being annoyed or mad because I didn't want to say yes. I really wanted to say no. So I had to think about a way to say no nicely without hurting his feelings, you know, or just like yes. tell them your process. Yes, I like that. And yes. it doesn't have to be just with your husband. It could be anywhere, anytime, like someone selling you something, someone on the bus, someone that was like, whatever, just like calling it out of like, oh, that was really hard for me. I had to be really brave and speak my truth, even though I didn't want to. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's an awesome idea. There's a question I like to ask. If you could address moms worldwide and give them one parenting advice, what would it be? 
Well, it may have been what I just said of like, if there is love and a relationship, there's no wrong way. The only, so maybe the advice I would give is we all make mistakes. The best possible thing that we can do as moms is don't gaslight your babies. Like if you made a mistake, own it, repair. That repair is a thousand times more important than if you mess up or not. We're all going to mess up. But if you learn how to repair and apologize and own your stuff, they are going to learn that it's okay to be human and make mistakes and then own their stuff. It's the best thing you can do. The second bit of advice is be a safe place for them to tell you when they don't love what you're doing or if something you're doing doesn't feel good to them. That is not the way we were brought up. It is difficult not to react. It is. And also like the generation above us, like our parents, nobody talked back, right? Quote, unquote. And so to give feedback to your parents or to question or to challenge or to ask why was considered being disrespectful, rude, talking back. Yes. But we want to raise kids that feel emotionally safe to say that hurt my feelings, or I don't understand why I can't do that. Or can I do it for five more minutes and then we can lovingly explain why or why not, but they have to be able to feel emotionally safe. Like we are not going to shame them or scream at them for being human. Oh, wow. That's so true. And it's a great way to end our conversation. I can talk to you forever, but I think it's time to wrap it up. Oh, thank um, you so much, Billy. I loved your questions. <laughs>